Good morning, everyone. We're glad to have you with us this morning in worship. We thank God for our amazing worship team who always blesses us with wonderful, uplifting song to usher us into the very presence of God. And we're so glad that you are here with us in God's presence on this blessed Lord's Day, the day that he has blessed us and given us to celebrate him. Uh, we do that every day, but especially on his day. And so we're thankful for that, this opportunity. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, you know that uh, recently we wrapped up a series uh, in the book of Romans that we started last summer. And then we took a pause after that and we did some Easter messages. And so on last Sunday, we were in Revelation chapter one. Well, today, starting today and for the next three weeks, including today, we'll be in the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk. And we'll, so we'll be in the book of Habakkuk starting today. Today, we'll look at the first chapter. Next week, we'll look at chapter two. And then finally, we will look at chapter three of Habakkuk. So today we'll be in Habakkuk chapter one. We'll actually be looking at Habakkuk chapter one through chapter two, verse one. That'll be our passage for today. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me there in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. I'm going to read a few of these verses, not all of them. Chapter one is quite lengthy, but we'll talk about it all. So just follow along with me if you can. Habakkuk chapter one, beginning, uh, we'll start out reading verses one through three. And in Habakkuk chapter one, verses one through three, this is what the word of the Lord says. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise and then drop down to verse five, verse five and six say this. Look among the nations and see this is God speaking. Look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Then drop down to verse 13. Verse 13 says this, you who are, who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. And then lastly, let's look at chapter two, verse one. Chapter two, verse one says this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. This is the word of the Lord by the prophet, Hab prophet Habakkuk to the people of God for this day. From this passage, I like to tag it with this tag. I like to talk about today when sight is suspect, when sight is suspect. Most of the time, seeing is believing most of the time. 
What you see is, in fact, often what you get. Figuratively speaking, being from the show me state of Missouri does often prove to be beneficial. You can, for the most part, trust what you see. But on the other hand, because I said for the most part, on the other hand, there is an other hand. The eyes can also play tricks on you. I know you will agree with me when I say that the eyes can and will play tricks on you. Things are not always as they appear. It's the reason why all vehicles, all vehicles in the U.S., and Canada and some other nations are mandated by law to have a phrase engraved on all passenger side mirrors. This is what the phrase says. You've seen it before. It says this objects in mirror are closer than they appear. That's what's on it. Just look at it. You'll see it is there. There's a reason for that phrase. This phrase is there because while these mirrors, the, the convexity of these mirrors gives them a useful field of view. It also makes objects appear smaller when you look in that in that particular mirror. Small since smaller appearing objects seem farther away than they actually are. A driver might make a maneuver such as a lane change, assuming an adjacent vehicle is actually at a safe distance behind when in fact it might be a bit closer than what it appears. The warning that's there serves as a reminder to the driver of that vehicle that there's a potential problem lurking right beside it. Normally, normally our vision is reliable. Normally, it's reliable. Normally it is. It's reliable for us to formulate a credible perception based on what we see. Normally, uh, often our perceptions are indeed realities. But just as it is with the mirror, sometimes perception is not reality. This is the case, especially when dealing with God, especially when dealing with God. It's the reason why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, he says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He also says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He says this, for we walk by faith, not by sight. This is what Paul says, and he says it for this reason, because our sight can be suspect. Our sight, it can be suspect. Sometimes in life, perception, my brothers and sisters, is reality. Sometimes, though, perception, sometimes, though, it is not that perception is reality. Sometimes it's perception versus reality. Sometimes we see that here in Habakkuk passage. I just read for you. We have both of these, both perception that is reality and perception versus reality. His perception, Habakkuk's perception about what was going on among God's people was accurate. He had the right idea, the right understanding of what he saw. 
Uh, but his perception uh, largely about God wasn't accurate. We see both going on in this in this text, uh, both of those happening within this ancient writing from this obscure prophet. I think there are some very relevant lessons for us today. Some of the things that we learn from Habakkuk in this passage are, are, are these. I'll, I'll list them for you. Some of the relevant lessons that we get from this ancient writing is this, is, are these. It's not a problem to have a problem with God, but it is a problem to bring your problem to not bring your problem to God. Let me say that again. Here's one lesson we get from this passage. It's not a problem to have a problem with God, but it is a problem not to bring your problem to God. God wants us to bring our concerns, our questions, all of those things that trouble us to him. Uh, I like what that old prince of preachers, Gardner C. Taylor, says. He says this. He says, there are days when we can bring before God laughter of joy and gratitude. There will be other days, though, Gardner C. Taylor says, when we can only muster a bitter, angry complaint. Be confident, Taylor says, that God will accept whatever we lift up before him and he will make it serve his purpose and our good. That's a lesson from Habakkuk that it's not a problem to bring God our problems. Here's another lesson from Habakkuk. Questioning God is OK. It's OK to question God. But when you do it, just know that you may not get the answer that you're hoping for. <laughs> you, you may not get the answer that you thought you would get. And that makes God when he gives you that answer that you were not expecting. That makes God no less God. In fact, I submit I would submit that uh, it confirms his deity and his sovereignty all the more when he answers in a sovereign way, in a way that we least expect. I think it confirms that God is who God is. That's a lesson for us from Habakkuk. God is OK with us questioning him. But be prepared for the answer that we get. Here's another one. God is in control even when it don't look like it. He's in control even when it appears that he's not. That's a lesson from Habakkuk. Here's another one. Crisis. Crisis. All of us can understand crisis. In fact, we're in the middle of what some would consider a crisis right now. But here's a lesson from Habakkuk. Crisis should draw us into a deeper relationship with God, not separate us and, and move us further away from him. But it should draw us into a deeper relationship with God. And then lastly, I see this 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 lesson from Habakkuk for us today. Here it is. True sight only comes through surrender. True sight only comes through surrender. The prophet, the prophet Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk. Let's talk a little bit about him. He is, of course, the writer of this book that bears his name. We don't get that much about him in Scripture. We don't we don't know much about Habakkuk at all. But we do know that he was a pre-exilic prophet, meet prophet, meaning his revelation occurred prior to Judah being exiled to Babylon. He writes before that. So he is considered a pre-exilic prophet before the exile. Uh, we also know that his name, what his name means, his name means to embrace or to wrestle. 
to embrace or to wrestle. And as is usually the case in scripture, his name has something to do with his message. The message of his book, his name has some kind of connection and the connection likely is here in Habakkuk that uh, it, the fact that he was wrestling with a difficult issue. He was wrestling with this difficult issue that we'll examine here in just a moment. Uh, here's the issue. If God is good, then why is there evil in the world? And if there has to be evil, then why do the evil seem to prosper? What is God doing in the world? This is this is Habakkuk's dilemma. This is what he's wrestling with in his day. His writing is unique. It's different than all the other prophets. It's it's, it's different than all the other Old Testament prophets. Habakkuk, what he does in his writing is he records this conversation with God rather than issuing what amounts to a warning from God. There is actually not much prophecy at all in Habakkuk other than God's answer to Habakkuk's complaints that we'll see and talk about in a minute. Other than that, we don't see too much prophecy here. Uh, the time of the writing was around 609 to 607 BC, somewhere around in there. The wicked days of Jehoiakim along with Babylon's rise to power provide the setting for this book. It was a time of cultural decay in Judah. And in the midst of this challenging time of crisis, Habakkuk cries out to God because it was challenging. So he cries out to his God. The entire passage, this passage that we're looking at today, this entire passage, all of chapter one and even into chapter two is about seeing that's what it's about. Seeing Habakkuk's initial complaint deals with seeing in verses one and three deals with seeing uh, God's answer in verse five deals with seeing Habakkuk's final response to today's text deals with seeing in chapter two, verse one. This entire passage, our lesson for today is my brothers and sisters about seeing and you need to know that your sight can be suspect if you're not careful. So let's talk about it. Let's look at this at this text and see what we get from it. First thing I want to talk about is what he sees, what he sees. This is in verses one through four. I read it to you earlier. Verse one says this, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet Saw. There it is right there in verse one. It's talking about what he saw, something that he envisioned, what his perception was. And he uses this word oracle. This word oracle is the Hebrew word that means a heavy load. That's what it means, a heavy load. He's talking about a burden that is upon him. And it is as if it is a heavy load. And it's it's based on what his perception uh, of things that were going on around him was and his perception led him to have this heavy load on him. Verses two through four talk about this heavy load, the heavy load a burden that he sees in Judah was due to the fact that despite outward appearances of religious revival, 
Judah society is marked by geopolitical upheaval, unbridled violence, destruction, strife, conflict and injustice. That's what he says in verses two through four. This is what he sees. He sees these things and it concerns him and he cries out to God. How long? So much so that in verse four, he says that God's law, which he gave to his people, had become ineffective. And in fact, it had become paralyzed. That's what Habakkuk says about what was going on from Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's vantage point. It appeared to him, his perception was that the wicked were winning and that God had somehow lost control. That's the reason why you have to be careful about what you see, about what you perceive, because he saw it like the wicked were winning and God didn't, didn't no longer had control. As a result, his questions are, he has some questions as a, as a result of this. And here's what his questions are. His questions are this. How long? How long is what he says in verse two. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? How long, God, Habakkuk says, how long will it be? And then he has another question. Why? Why is this happening? Why? Uh, it, it, we have we can relate. We can relate because we have oftentimes those same kinds of questions. We can relate uh, in somewhat to Habakkuk's situation, because I know for me, I've asked God those same questions before. God, how long is it going to be? And God, why is this happening? And, and this is what Habakkuk asked God and God who is God always has an answer and he has one for Habakkuk here. This brings us then to God's answer to Habakkuk, which is essentially this is what it is, what God wants him to see. So first we looked at what he sees. Now let's look at what God is trying to get him to see, what God wants him to see. It's in verses five through eleven. And by 5 through 11, God, and especially in verse 5, starting in verse 5, God responds to Habakkuk by telling him to look and see. He says, look, look at what it says in verse 5. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. He says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, take another look. Take another look, look around, see, because there's something going on. He says, look and see, because his perception, Habakkuk's was not reality. And so God says, take a second look, do a do a, do, a, do a double take, because what you're seeing is not reality for I am doing a work. I know it doesn't seem like it. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know all of that, but I am doing a work. God says, although it may appear that I'm doing nothing, I do have a plan because that's what God does. He always has a plan. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not the answer 
you were looking for is what he says to Habakkuk. The the answer I'm going to give you is not the answer that you were looking for. And if I tell you, you won't understand it, nor will you believe it. It it, is not going to make much sense to you. And that, my brothers and my sisters, is oftentimes the way God responds to us in a way that we sometimes don't understand. So in verses six through 11, God is, in fact, doing something. It's what he says. He explains what he's doing in six through 11. In verse six, it says this. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. He says, this is what I'm doing. He says, I'm raising up a foreign nation. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians to come and destroy Judah. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how that sits, how that resonates with Habakkuk? Habakkuk said, I'm sure we don't get it right now, but I'm sure he he has to be responding in a way that 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 is in shock, that is in utter surprise when God says that he's raising up this nation, Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to destroyed Judah, his people. The reason why he's sure Habakkuk won't believe it is because the Chaldeans are really wicked. They were worse, much worse than the Jews, much worse. So in verses six through 11, it describes just how evil they are. Uh, Let me just tell you without having to read all of it that they were an extremely evil Uh, treacherous people. The reason for this destruction is to show that they are so powerful. This description that God gives in 6 through 11, the reason why he gives it to Habakkuk is to show that they are so powerful that no one can stop them. They will certainly destroy Judah. We see in verse 11 that they, though, will be held guilty for their wickedness, but God is going to use them anyway. What Habakkuk sees, we looked at that first. What God wants him to see, we just looked at that. He wants him to see what he's doing, that he is, in fact, working. He is, in fact, up to something. He does, in fact, have a plan. Then that leads us to Habakkuk's second complaint. And it is this. This is what Habakkuk seems to say. But so first what he what what he sees, then what God wants him to see. Then this is what he says. This is difficult to see. God, what you just showed, what you just uh, 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 revealed to me is difficult for me to see. Initially, it sounds, though, as if Habakkuk is okay with God's answer. In verses 12 through the first part of 13, this is what Habakkuk says. Are you not from everlasting? He's, he's, He's elevating God. He seems to be in agreement with God. Oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. We shall not die. He says, I know you made us a promise. And based on that covenantal promise, I know that we're not going to die. So I'm not worried about anything. Oh, Lord, you have ordained them as judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are the purest, the purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. That's what he says initially. So initially in looking at it, one would think that 
Habakkuk is okay with God's response to his complaint. But then at the end of verse 13, we see that that's not the case because he reveals at the end of 13 uh, that he, he he's not in agreement. He doesn't understand it. And he reveals it in another why question. Another another why question. He reveals that he is troubled by God's answer. So he says this. He says this. Why do you oddly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? That's what he says. He says, I got another why question, God. I know you, you're working. You told me you're doing something, but I don't understand it. And God seems to say, I, I, I warned you that you wouldn't believe it. The, pro, the people of Judah are bad. There's no doubt about that. But the godless Babylonians, Habakkuk seems to say, and then we know, are worse. They are worse. So in verses 14 through 17, it was as if God's people would be conquered as easily. He draws this illustration of a fisherman catching fish, and it's as if God's people would be conquered as easily as fish in a net. And Habakkuk wonders how long God would allow the Babylonians to continue their cruel conquest of his people. Habakkuk has a hard time dealing with uh, God's answer because he knows God's character. And this just doesn't seem to jive with God's holiness. Doesn't seem to fit that God would allow an unholy, unrighteous people to attack and overtake and overthrow his people. Doesn't seem to doesn't seem to jive. So for him, this is difficult to see. So we have what Habakkuk sees. Then we have what God wants him to see and his complaint that this is difficult to see. Lastly, I want to share with you how Habakkuk waits to see. Habakkuk waits to see is in chapter two, verse one. Let me read it again. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Habakkuk has raised before we got here. He has raised two questions to God, yet he asked both with a proper attitude. He went to God the right way with those questions. He did go to him and God appreciates the fact that he came to him. He has the right attitude. He anticipated an answer from God and was willing to wait for it on this second complaint. He is willing to wait for this answer. Often we question God when we do. We don't expect him to answer. But Habakkuk, Habakkuk expected an answer from God. Other times we go to God with a question we not only expect, we not only expect God will answer, but we demand when we do expect him to answer, we demand him that, that he answer the way we want him to answer. And according to our schedule, on our time frame, Habakkuk approached this situation in a different way than often we do, with a different with a different attitude, with the correct attitude and the correct spirit. I love what one commentator says about this. He says this, how often God's answers come and find us gone. They come and we haven't been willing to wait long. We have waited for a while and thinking there was no answer. We have gone our way. But as we have turned the first corner, the post has come in. God's ships touch at our wharves, but there is no one to unload the ships. 
It is not enough to direct your prayers unto God. Look up and look out unto the blessing of lights on your head. Wait, I say, upon the Lord and he will answer his prayers. He will strengthen your heart. He will come to your rescue. He will give a response. So Habakkuk is willing to wait. Habakkuk's attitude was also right because he was likely saying that he expected God to correct him in his response at the end here that he was looking for correction from this. We see that Habakkuk didn't ask God this question because he thought God was wrong. Sometimes we do that and that God had to explain himself. He asked it because he knew that he was wrong and he needed to be corrected. His questions were his invitation to God saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I know that you are right in all things. Please speak to me and correct me. That's what he says. Waiting patiently and humbly on God's answer should always be our response as well. Even in difficult times where we can't see what God is doing, like the times that we're living in right now, waiting patiently and humbly upon the Lord it should always be our response. Just like a back and says, I'll wait. Finally, as we consider the fact that seeing properly is important and that at times our sight is suspect, Remember that our sight at times is suspect. Allow me to offer a reminder that we must be careful not to let our circumstances define God for us. We can't do that. We cannot let our circumstances define for us who God is. Let me close with this quote from Paul Tripp. Paul Tripp says this. You can never, ever have a stable, hope-giving, life-transforming theology based on your read of circumstances. The opposite, though, is the case, that what is called for in Habakkuk is for you to let God's careful, consistent revelation of himself be the means by which you interpret your circumstances. Be careful not to allow your sight to be suspect and that your perception of what's going on contribute to how you see God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Help us to be wait patiently upon you and wait patiently upon your response and reply. Even when we have questions, Lord, we know that you, you invite and welcome us to ask those questions because you stand ready with answers and help us to know that those answers may not always be what we want them to be, but our faith should hold us no matter what that answer is. We thank you. We praise you, Lord, for your word today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you again. I pray that God's word from Habakkuk has been a blessing to you as we continue to live in these challenging times, not knowing what tomorrow may bring. But we don't have to worry about that because we know who holds tomorrow. So God bless you. Uh, join us again next week. We'll be looking at Habakkuk chapter two, where God will give uh, an answer 
to Habakkuk who's waiting on it. He'll say in chapter two, the just shall live by faith. It's a great word and you don't want to miss that. We look forward to seeing you. God bless you. Pray that if you have not yet allowed the Lord to come into your heart, that you do that now, that you allow him, ask him in and he'll come in. Don't let another moment pass without you doing that. God bless you. God keep you is my prayer. Until next time, God bless.